I believe King David was speaking about some personal distress in his own experience. He was going through his own personal agony. But David was not only a great king, he was also a prophet, the scriptures tell us. And I believe that by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David was giving us a message 1,000 years before Christ's passion, telling us what the final few moments of Christ's prayer was on the cross. We can be certain that he was praying the entire time. But these are the final few moments of his prayer before he expires. Uh, This is all about a greater David, not first of all King David. This is about the Messiah. And here is what the Messiah prays to his heavenly Father. Follow with me in Psalm 22. Here's verse 1. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Noah just read that from Mark, but we have it here. First of all, it is taken from Psalm 22. It is the final few moments of Christ's earthly passion before he gives up his life completely and expires on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Jesus had never known anything like this. There had always been personal communion. There always had been intimacy with his father. He had never known separation from his father. And the people there listening thought, well, Eloi, Eloi, he must be calling Elijah, as was read for us this evening. Uh, He must be waiting for Elijah to take him down from the cross. But he wasn't speaking about Elijah. They had never heard the term Eloi, Eloi. Elohim. You and I have heard Elohim, if you've been in the church for very long, the all-powerful, predestinating, sovereign God whom we worship, Jehovah. But this was Eloi. It had to be a term of endearment. Dad. Dad. Why are you forsaking me? Why so far from my groaning? Why don't you come and rescue me? Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Father, I'm crying to you by day. He was crucified at 9 a.m. He had been through the agonies and the trials through the night hours and in the early morning hours, but at 9, they crucified the Savior, and at noon, the sixth hour, darkness came over the land, and Jesus, in, in, in his state of, of, uh, uh, of uh, disenfranchisement, where he's been, he's been uh, uh, almost in a, in a state of, of frenzy, uh, uh, he, he's, he's thinking that it's nighttime, day, night, Father, it doesn't matter when I pray, you're not there. Where are you, Dad? There's never been a time like this where there has been such separation. You and I go through our personal trials and we wonder, where's the Lord? Uh, the Lord felt the intensity of that rejection a million times over anything you and I have ever experienced. When we wonder where God is, Jesus knows all about that. Verse 3, you, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are enthroned. I am relying on the reality that you are God. And that you will see me. It is your oath. It is your covenant. It is your agreement. You can't be relying on feelings. This Christian faith doesn't rest on feelings at a time of crucifixion or of your personal agony. You don't rely, where is God? That's not the question. Rest on the promises of Scripture and the utter faithfulness of Jehovah in the darkest hour. In you our fathers trusted, verse 4, they trusted and you delivered them. 
Moses could count on you. Abraham, David could count on you. All the patriarchs, all of God's people can count on you. And I am relying on you at this moment that soon, quickly, you will deliver me. Verse 5, to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I am going through humiliation. I'm dying on the cross naked. But my shame and humiliation will be turned to victory. I will not be put to shame. There will be triumph at the cross. I'm counting on your promise and your faithfulness to deliver. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Why did Jesus call himself a worm? Yes, he was going through humiliation, but why a worm? Um, Well, interestingly enough, there is a worm in Israel. Perhaps you've heard about this, but there is almost predominantly in Israel, a few of the surrounding countries, but there's a worm called the crimson worm, a a scarlet worm. And this is what uh, reasonsforhopejesus.com has to say. When the female worm is ready to lay her eggs, which happens only once in her life, she climbs up on a tree and attaches herself to it. With her body attached to the wood, a hard crimson shell forms. It is a shell so hard and so secured to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body, which would kill the worm. The female worm lays her eggs under her body, under its protective shell. And when the larvae hatch, they remain under that protective shell of the mother. So the baby worm can feed on the living body of the mother for three days. After three days, the mother worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached and it covers her baby worms. The baby worms remain crimson colored for their entire lives. Thereby, thereby, because of this covering, they are identified as crimson worms. Well, the Lord has given us the crimson worm as a metaphor for the covering that you and I receive when the blood of Jesus covers us and we remain crimson in the blood of the Lamb for eternity, for this life and the next. So verse 6 says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Jesus is being uh, sent through the greatest of all humiliations. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Noah just read about that, the incredible humiliation of our Savior. This might as well be in the New Testament. Now, never mind, it's already there, isn't it? And verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The mocking continues from the Pharisees and the soldiers. Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. And then verse 10, on you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. The Lord has always known intimacy. The Savior always knew what it was like to commune with his heavenly Father, even when he was nursing at Mary's breast. This was a man that had never known anything but intimacy. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the exact representation And the Savior told us that he and the Father are one. But brothers and sisters, the thing that's amazing here is that Jesus is recognizing that even though he has been with, even though he is estranged right now, there has always been this closeness, that he is going through a trial that he must endure alone. 
In fact, that's what he says in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. You only have one Savior and a once-for-all sacrifice for sins, and he must go to the cross alone on your behalf. He who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. What's Jesus talking about here? Um, Bashan was an area uh, to the east, northeast of of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It was an area that uh, in South Africa we'd say felt grass, but it's um, prairie grass, savanna, very fertile for growing tall grasses. They would put their cattle out there. The farmers would put their, their heifers and their bulls out there, and that had a real positive effect because the bulls would become sleek and fat. But it had a downside. And the downside was that these poor farmers had a terrible time trying to corral their own animals. They became wild and undomesticated. Uh, the bulls became bullheaded. And Jesus from the cross, as he's hanging there, is looking down at this group of people around him, this crowd that are deriding him. And he's saying, Father, bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. They they, they are seeking to devour me. Verse 13, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion ready to pounce on their prey. Oh, if they could only wring a little bit more uh, 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 persecution and affliction on the Savior, it would delight them no end. If they could only make his crucifixion last longer, if he could only be in pain for a little while longer, Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. Jesus is describing the fact, Father, can you see that my my, uh, arms have been removed from their sockets, my knees the same, my bones, everything. Internally, I'm bleeding, I'm I'm, I'm bleeding out, I'm dehydrated, and I can feel my internal organs are, are giving way. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. It is no wonder that someone, by the sovereign will of God, ran and got a, a sour vinegar sponge and raised it on a pole to his lips so that Jesus could, at the end of his, of his passion, cry out, Tetelestai! It is finished. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. How did David know 1,000 years before Christ? Because he was a man of war. He knew all about extracting information from prisoners of war. He knew all about torture. But he had never heard of Roman crucifixion. So how did he know about the piercing of Jesus' hands and feet? unless the Holy Spirit has informed him. I can count all my bones, verse 17. They stare and gloat over me. The agony and then to see the derision and to have Jesus naked on a cross looking down and see these people delighting in his death. They divide my garments. Father, do you notice, verse 18, that they're dividing my garments among them and for my clothing they are casting lots. The cloak was the most expensive item in a person's possession. Not just the wardrobe, but the possession. Uh, Nothing was more expensive 
for most people. Uh, you would wear it to keep warm. Uh, my wife and I read uh, devotions this morning in Deuteronomy 23. The Lord commands that anyone that uses it as a loan must give it back to the poor person before evening because it's his blanket. A person would use it and maybe put a pile of stones outside. They pull it up and rest their head on their cloak. And so when a person died, they handed over that cloak to the next of kin, to the mother or to one of the brothers. But not here. Mary is there. The disciples are there. His brothers are there. They're a distance off, but no, no, no. Let's gamble over it. And, and, and here he is naked, and he's just a moment from, from expiring, and there they are gambling over his cloak. But you, O Lord, verse 19, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Father, surely this must be the end. This has to be the, the, the finishing of my, of my passion on behalf of my people. Accept this sacrifice and gather the people together in my name who love me and do it through this work. But surely, Lord, it must be coming to an end. And verse 21, sure enough, the Lord Jesus at the very end before he cries out receives the assurance that his father cannot take it. One more second. He wants his boy back and he has seen enough. And in verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. And Jesus in triumph says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You're coming. You're on your way. You're sending your angels. I am going to be free to telestai. It is finished. And the work is done. Well, you know, brothers and sisters, I think that that's the end of Jesus' prayer. In verse 22, there is a paradigm shift, major, major shift. In verse 22, I think King David takes over, and he has something to say to all of us tonight. And here is what it is. I will tell of your name, Jesus, to my brothers, verse 22. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise Jesus. In verse 23, you who fear the Lord Jesus, praise Jesus. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Jesus and stand in awe of Jesus, all you offspring of Israel. You see, David thinks that you and I should gather in a place like this tonight to praise him who dies for sinners, who dies for you. In fact, is there any other reason to come tonight? Why have we left our places of employment in our homes and hurried off to, to God's house tonight? If not to praise him who dies this kind of agonizing death for you and me. Verse 24, for God the Father has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted Jesus. And God the Father has not hidden his face from Jesus, but has heard when he cried out to him, Rescue me, the Father answered his son. In verse 25, From you, Jesus, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Jesus. I will not be ashamed of my Savior. I will speak well of him in the assembly and everywhere. I will announce that I love this Savior of mine who has died for me, and I won't hold back. You're not going to hold David back. 
And you must not be held back either, brother or sister. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you need to join us in praising this one who dies for sinners. Ask the Lord tonight to cleanse you and to wash you. Repent of your sin and come and join us. We delight in this place to sing the praises of God, and you must do the same. That is what you were made for. You need to come to Christ. Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Jesus shall praise the Lord Jesus. If you've been afflicted by sin, there is a way of escape. Praise the Lord Jesus, there's a way of escape. And David thinks highly of you. He says about you, may your hearts live forever. May you live in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth and join David in praising the name of Jesus. Verse 27, all the earth's ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord Jesus and all the families of the nations shall worship before Jesus. This isn't going to be just a Jewish thing. This is for folks like you and me, Gentile dogs, rescued, saved, healed, restored, delivered. Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord Jesus, and Jesus rules over the nations. Praise the Lord for that. And brothers and sisters, it goes on, all the prosperous in verse 29 of the earth eat and worship. Before Jesus shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. You can't keep yourself alive. You and I, brothers and sisters, are dead in our trespasses and sins. This Savior has the antidote. He rescues to the uttermost and saves all those who call on him. Verse 30, posterity shall serve Jesus. It shall be told of the Lord Jesus to the coming generation. We have a job to do. Our young ones, our little ones need to know about this great Savior. And finally, verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, to a people yet unborn. We'll carry the message to all the world and to the generations that have not yet come. They will hear. There is someone who dies for sinners. A magnificent work has been accomplished at Calvary, the epical event of human history. Brothers and sisters, the final few words of Psalm 22 says, He has done it. To tell us die. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, he has done it. The victory is secure. Christ has accomplished a great triumph. And our response has to be tonight, thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your cross. Thank you for the price you pay. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how we thank you for Psalm 22. And we're so grateful for this powerful word from David, giving us all sorts of hope and every reason to place hope and confidence in Jesus. Thank you, Father. And Lord Jesus, how we thank you. You who are the light of heaven, your sacred head, the joy of the angels, now wounded, all bloody, all gory, unrecognizable. Thank you for your triumph for us. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid.
for Jesus' sake.